You are listening to the Cowboy Talk Podcast. We are once again recording over the phone. We're all in lockdown just like the rest of the state, and things are still very weird just like two weeks ago. On today's episode, I am joined by a plethora of ag teachers. As usual, we have Chad Waldrum, North Lake FFA advisor and co-host of the podcast. Hey, good to be here. I'm glad you're doing this, Justin. I think it's important, and I, I hope that we can keep this going during the lockdown and for the year ahead. And for today's guest, we have Jeff Papke, Bend FFA advisor, ag teacher there at Mountain View High School, and also Oregon Ag Teacher Association president. Good evening. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yep. And also Dan McNary, Crook County Ag Teacher and Crook County FFA Advisor, and also Central Oregon District FFA Advisor, and was a past president of the Oregon Ag Teacher Association. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to be on tonight. Yeah, no problem. So let's go ahead and uh, start the podcast. Let's do this on a kind of a higher note, just because things are, honestly, they're pretty depressing right now, just the way the country's going with coronavirus and everything. So starting with Mr. Papke, you want, let's just go ahead and kind of introduce ourselves. Um, tell us basically your life story short, things like what's your history in FFA? Um, what do you do in the Oregon Ag Teacher Association? Uh, some of your family life, just something like that. Short family history. Well, I've always been one that struggled to talk, so I'll try to keep this brief. Um, yeah, so I'm, a, I'm an FFA kid. Um, was a member of the McKay FFA chapter in Salem and, and involved there and got into college and thought I wanted to be in the livestock industry, then had an opportunity to do some youth education in Alaska. And I figured out that this uh, being an ag teacher and FFA advisor was really what I was destined to be. So ended up going to Oregon State and get my ag teaching license taught at Silverton uh, for eight years. And then uh, taught at Crook County High School, excuse me, taught at Silverton for two years, taught at Crook County for eight years um, here in Prineville. Got an opportunity to work for the National FFA organization, working with other ag teachers in the southeastern United States. Figured out that ag teachers across the country are kind of the same. Um, We all love kids. We all love ag. We all love FFA. And our goal is to try to see what we can do to provide the most opportunities to kids um, through Ag Ed and through FFA. Love that. Um, being in Indianapolis was fun. Uh, being a motorhead, I love going to the races, the Indianapolis 500, the drag races and NASCAR, et cetera. But uh, if you've ever been to Indiana, you know it's flat. Um, they have tornadoes and thunderstorms, and I hate humidity, so it's nice to get back home here to central Oregon where we have mountains and a lot better climate. Um, Piddled around with uh, Oregon State University doing some education stuff, with St. Charles doing some education stuff, and then got asked if I'd come back to be an ag teacher, an FFA advisor, uh, specifically a welding fabrication instructor at Mountain View High School, and jumped at the chance. And uh, it's the best decision I've made um, to come back. You're lucky when you can have two dream careers in your life, that being an ag teacher and that working for FFA. And been at Mountain View for four years now. I've got a fantastic teaching partner and Miss Jamie Brentano, and we really complement each other. And uh, we've got a great group of kids and just real excited to be back involved. Um, Got elected as president-elect a year ago for OATA and uh, serving this year as president. Family life, I've got a daughter who uh, is actually a member of the Crook County FFA chapter with Mr. McNary. I got another daughter who is in college, and due to everything that's happening, they are both here at home. 
finishing the year virtually and uh, they were both involved in FFA. So it's great to be not just an ag teacher, but also be able to be an FFA dad and uh, help them. And uh, yeah, just a, a, just a real privilege to, uh, to be able to be part of a profession like ag teachers and to be involved in an organization like FFA and doing everything we can to provide every opportunity and, and uh, that chance for success for students. Hey, Jeff, didn't your daughter get a full ride scholarship on a, on, to go golf? She did. Yeah, my, uh, my daughter, I'm kind of a hacker myself. Everybody asked me, are you a good golfer? My question right back to him is, do you see me on tour? The answer is <laughs> questions. And uh, yeah, my daughter got excited about golf and uh, through her activities in FFA and her accomplishments in golf, she is on a, a scholarship to Bridgewater, Uni- Bridgewater College, excuse me, in Bridgewater, Virginia. And uh, it really stinks when she calls in March and it's snowing here and she's down in Jekyll Island or Hilton Head or somewhere golfing and it's 80 degrees. Um <laughs> That's kind of a lot of fun and something that's really cool that FFA uh, helped her in her ag ed. She was just selected uh, one of two students through Bridgewater because uh, she's studying environmental science at Bridgewater. And uh, she is going to spend next semester at uh, George Mason University, which is just outside of D.C. in Front Royal, Virginia, studying there. And the cool part is she is going to be studying with scientists and researchers from the Smithsonian Institute wow. on environmental science and specifically looking at natural resource management. That's awesome. All right, so Mr. McNair, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, same thing, kind of your life story short, uh, history with FFA, um, Oregon Ag Teacher Association, stuff like that. Yeah, um, I grew up in Klamath Falls, uh, was a student for um, 12 years in the Henley complex, uh, spent all year, all 12 years uh, on the, the same campus for elementary, middle, and high school. Um, one of a uh, graduating class of 120, and there were six of us who had been through the entire Henley system. Uh, grew up on a small family farm. My dad's a butcher meat cutter. Uh, been around ag my entire life, raised cattle growing up, uh, started FFA as a freshman, um, served three officer positions for Henley FFA, uh, including president, and was also served as a Southern Oregon District FFA officer. Uh, I did have aspirations of um, running for state office. I actually chose not to. Uh, because of what I wanted to do in college and the opportunities that I thought were being afforded to me for that. I did not go to school to become an ag teacher to start with. Uh, I, too, was on an animal science path. Uh, Specifically, I wanted to um, ultimately go into vet medicine with a focus on um, reproductive physiology I got to spend a lot of time growing up working for several purebred ranches that did a lot of embryo transfer with a gentleman uh, that was housed down there in Klamath County and um, really became fascinated with uh, embryo transfer and reproductive physiology as a whole. Uh, left Klamath Falls and went to Bozeman, Montana 
to Montana State University, only to find out that the two programs that I had gone there for had been cut three weeks before I got there. And um, I I have a passion for livestock evaluation, and that passion didn't actually grow in me until I got to college. I was actually uh, an incredibly successful meat evaluator with my growing up with my dad's background and what he did for a living. Um, I decided that I could be pretty successful as a meat evaluator and was in high school. Um, I was a high individual at the state contest uh, my junior and senior year and had also was a high individual at the Chico Field Day twice. And so I was actually headed to Montana State University to be on their meat judging team. And it was cut three weeks before I got there. I was, I was in the last rotation of freshmen to go through orientation. They had three of them. The first one was our graduation week. The second one was during my county fair. And the third one was the week before school started. And so I got back there and uh, didn't, was not able to get a single class that would do anything towards a degree. Um, couple that with the fact that they had cut the meets judging program and also their um, connection with Colorado State University for their pre-vet program uh, as a link to their animal science department. Um, I decided to come back home, uh, got back to Oregon and enrolled at Lynn Benton Community College. And I got on the judging team there with Rick Clampy and Kara Harris. And um, Bruce Most was still part of the program at the time. And, and what a pleasure to be able to be one of the last groups of students that got to work with Bruce uh, while he was still on faculty at Lynn Benton. Um, still had plans to major in animal science and, and go through the pre-vet option uh, at Oregon State when I transferred. But through the livestock judging team, uh, I got to work with a lot of 4-H and FFA members putting on clinics and evaluating contests, um, serving as an official. And I found that I really enjoyed working with high school age students. And I actually changed my degree path and transferred to Oregon State and went through their early option experience so that I came out teaching with a bachelor's degree in 2001. My first teaching job was at Monument High School. Um, I shouldn't say Monument High School. I should just say Monument School. When I got there, there were 65 kids in the school, K through 12. Sounds about like that. There were there were 29, um, I believe, in the high school, and 14 of those were foreign exchange students from all across the, the globe. Um, I was going to say, that, that, that makes uh, North Lake sound like a, a metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually almost didn't take the job. Um, my wife, uh, Hillary, uh, we've been married for 19 years now, and uh, we had just gotten married um, or were just getting married the, the next week after I interviewed. And I went over to do the interview. And they offered me the job on the spot. I had another interview the next day. And so I, I put them on hold a little bit. 
And over in that part of the world in 2001, there was very limited cell phone service. And the phone that I had lived in a bag on the uh, floorboard of my pickup. And when I did finally get service that night after they had offered me the job, um, we talked and I didn't didn't tell her that they had offered me the job because I knew I had another interview the next day in Burnt River, which isn't much bigger, if any. And um, went and did the Burnt River interview and they offered me the job also. And on the way back, I stopped here in Prineville and I called Hillary to let her know where I was and when I thought I'd be home and told her that I had gotten both job interviews or job offers. And she asked which one I was going to take. And I told her I wasn't going to take either one of them. And she asked why. And I said, because I don't think you could make it over there. And she, she asked what that meant. And I said, I don't think you've ever been anywhere as small as what these places were. She grew up in Corvallis. And um, she told me to go with my gut and she'd do anything. Uh, she'd get, move anywhere. So I took Monument. We moved over there. And she cried for the first month of our life together. So, uh, so it, but we made it, we uh, stayed there for four years, Uh, had our first daughter, Abby, while we were uh, living in Mount Vernon, which was 65 miles from Monument. And uh, I spent two years after that at Glide High School. And uh, in the time that I was at Monument, we probably drove through Prineville Oh, probably two to three times a month on our way to Bender Redmond. And uh, growing up, I, I showed a lot of cattle at the Crook County Fair because they had an open limousine show when I was growing up. And um, I, I'd always loved Prineville. I loved everything about Prineville. And um, I thought if the chance ever came to get to Prineville, I would jump on it. And after two years of Glide, the opportunity uh, afforded itself. And I applied, interviewed, and and took the job. Uh, so that was um, in 2007, and um, kind of loving loving life here. Uh, great group of kids, great community support, and um, we're very happy to be here. Uh, my wife Hillary uh, and I have three kids. Uh, Abby is a sophomore, and. Andrea is an eighth grader, and then we have a five-year-old son, Calvin. But yeah, so Mr. Waldron and me were talking earlier today, um, and he was talking about how you guys have spent a pretty large amount of time traveling together and just as ag advisors um, from Central Oregon, just kind of hanging out together. So he wanted me to ask any of you um, to tell a, a PG story. Make sure it's PG. He made us uh, sure to specify that a PG story about just some of the times you guys spent together. <laughs> well, I'll I'll go ahead and start because it's fairly recent, and I think it's a good story. Um, even if you make it PG, I think it's a really good story. <laughs> um, Jeff, Jeff, and I actually, as OAT officers, uh, we uh, had the opportunity to go to Alaska in May of last year, and uh, we received probably some bad information from the uh, folks in Alaska as to where to fly into and and neither one of us had spent much time in Alaska. If any, I had been there once to Anchorage um, and Palmer um, in the summer of 2001, but my experience with Alaska was pretty limited. And so Jeff and I made 
plane arrangements to fly into Anchorage. Well, the conference we were going to was in Fairbanks. And, you know, you think of major towns anywhere in the rest of the United States, and it's not that far apart from major town to major town. I mean, think about Oregon, Portland, Salem, Eugene. They're all, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump away from each other. So we made our arrangements, and Jeff rented a van, and he called me one night, and he said, have you looked at a map? <laughs> and so uh, Jeff and I, we, we flew into Alaska, uh, into Anchorage, and got in his rental van. Uh, another little side story about renting a van in Alaska. They want to make sure that you are fully aware of the liability that comes with renting a van in Alaska if you don't buy their insurance. Um, apparently you, you damage one of their rigs and it's your, your insurance gets held up for the entire value of a rig, uh, because they're so hard to get in Alaska to replace them once one goes out of service. So there was a little bit of, uh, I won't say there was a lot of discussion at the counter as to why Jeff did not want to pay for the added insurance <laughs> um, before, before the keys were handed over. And so we, uh, we, Took off and, and leaving a lot, leaving Anchorage, there's a big sign on the side of the road that says, you know, on this stretch of highway, 287 moose have been hit since January Holy 1st. Crap. So we're only five and a half months into the year and, you know, more moose than there are deer right now in central Oregon had been hit on that one stretch of highway. And you didn't have the insurance? <laughs> and we didn't have the insurance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Quit what? being so cheap both... and buy the insurance. <laughs> so, but I think both Jeff and I, we were pretty excited about it because if that many moose had been killed on the road, how many were we going to see? And so we, we drove from Anchorage to Fairbanks, which was a good seven hour drive through some of the most beautiful country that you've ever seen in your life. And we had a great time talking, a great time sightseeing, stopped a few places, enjoyed the beauty of Alaska. And in that seven hours, what was it, Jeff? We saw three ducks, one goose. There was one relatively small dead animal on the side yeah. of the road. Yep. But not a single moose oh, was man. seen. And a couple of days later, we were driving back from Fairbanks to Anchorage to catch our flight home. And uh, we were just uh, east of the entrance to Denali National Park, and I was driving, Jeff was sleeping, and uh, I looked over in the willows along the side of the road, and sure enough, there was a moose. So I promptly stomped on the brakes and made a U-turn in the middle of the highway and turned around so that both Jeff and I could see the one moose that exists in Alaska. <laughs> okay, so when we're when we're driving back, and yes, I was relaxing in the passenger seat. Miss McNary was driving. I'm, you know, thinking about the trip, just almost out. And telling that he's he hit the brakes does not give it justice. <laughs> he stood on the brakes, put his foot through the carburetor, put this thing on two wheels, and spun <laughs> around so we could see this moose because it was the only moose. We had ever seen all these people that tell you there's all these moose in Alaska. I think they're lying. I think they <laughs> photoshopped them into the brochures because everybody's like, oh, yeah, there's moose everywhere. Yeah, right. Where are they? And uh, we get to the we get to the airport. And that was the one the one moose we saw this calf. 
and we're sitting there waiting for the flight. And Mag TJ was still at the conference, had a later flight, sends us a picture of a moose walking through the parking lot of the hotel we had just oh, left. Oh, no. Yeah. So after seeing the sign, would you have bought the insurance looking back? No. No? <laughs> Living life <laughs> on the edge. I trust our driving skills. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Anyway, so now let's uh let's let's get down to business here. Let's talk about uh hey, well, hey, can I tell one quick story? Yeah, oh yeah, go for it yeah. for sure. Yeah, so, I, think, tell his story. I, I think one of the things that students don't realize is as ag teachers, we're a very tight knit community. And Part of, part of the great thing about being an ag teacher is knowing you've got 100, 120, 130 other ag teachers in the state, thousands across the country that have your back, that are willing to, to do whatever you can, whatever they can to help make you successful. But we're also friends. We like to do things socially. And uh, one of the things that we've done periodically as a Central Oregon district is we like to go early summer and have a rat shooting trip. And so... Uh, Mr. Waldron uh, was in charge one year and he said, hey, let's go up to Hole in the Ground and uh, not so much let's go shoot rats, but let's just go up, have some time together, let's camp, let's relax, maybe, you know, bring some 22s, do a little plinking, okay, sounds great. So we go up there and we're, we're having a, you know, we're, we're plinking away and as we're plinking, this car drives up, so we're all like, okay, let's stop, you know. And you can see this couple show up in this, I think it was a Subaru, and husband driving, wife in the passenger seat. And the husband drives up, and all he's got in his line of sight is he sees the hole in the ground. And you can just, you, we can't hear the conversation, but you can hear it. You know what they're saying. And he's like, oh, honey, look at that, the hole in the ground. That's so great. That's so great. And the wife's like, um, did you look over there? Did you look over there? And he's still talking about, look at the hole in the ground. That's great. Because all she sees as they drive, she looks left. And she sees the four of us there with our 22s and our plinkets, <laughs> kind of looking at them. And he's staring at, you know, just looking at the hole in the ground and, and, you know, really appreciating the beauty of it. And all of a sudden, he looks over to see us. And I don't know where they were from, but you can just tell by the look in their eyes, like, oh, my goodness. What are those four guys over there doing? And they're all armed. Um, we need to leave. And she's excited about leaving as fast as they can. And so uh, it was kind of funny watching them and, and looking at us and the reaction on their face. And we're looking at them kind of waving like, hey, how you doing? Have a great day. And um, I think they beat feet back to wherever they came from just about as fast <laughs> as they could. Did they have well, organ plates? I, no. didn't, I didn't even look. <laughs> Well, we had we had all our guns laid out there against the tent. We had like twenty guns, thousands of casings on the ground. <laughs> there may or may not have been a bunch of beer cans strewn around the campground. That was a great. That was so. It was me, you, Jeff, Dan, and Dale Crawford, I believe, on that trip. I think that I think or, that was Sam Harrenshaw, maybe. I can't remember exactly who was on that one. I think it was just the four of us. That was that was a heck of a time, and uh, we thought next time we ought to all buy Billy Bob teeth yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. have, a, uh, have a radio on board that when somebody else drove up, we started playing dueling banjos from the Deliverance to really make the experience correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> How long ago was that? Yeah. Oh, that was 15 years ago, oh, maybe? Wow. 
Oh man, that yeah, was before. Yeah, no, it, it could have been. It's probably. Yeah, it's probably ten years ago. That was even like back before everybody started freaking out over guns and stuff like that as much as they do now. So I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's when you could actually buy 22 shells by the 500 pound brick or the 500 round bricks. Yeah. Yep. We shot 10,000 rounds. Holy cow. Oh, at least. At least. Oh, at least. Well, the the fun part about. We set up a log about, I don't know, 18 inches thick and we shot it in half. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. With 22. With 22. Yes. Yes. How much time did you guys have? I'll be a part of that. So your advisor has a 10 gauge yeah. that he thinks kicks. I have a 12 gauge that I think kicks. And part of our tradition was to always try to find the hottest shell we could to shoot one shot out of each gun to see which one kicked more. So far, I am still champion. And uh, I think my gun actually laid Mr. Waldron over in his chair when he fired it Holy off. Cow. Yes, yes, <laughs> Yeah, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> uh, how many, be- uh, like, do you just find the, just go to a store and see how, if you can find the highest grain shell? Well, when you put a single shot turkey load into a single shot shotgun, you oh. better be bucked. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. Huh. But the 12 yeah. gauge yeah, kicked harder than the 10 gauge did? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought it'd be the exact opposite. Me too. That's why I was on my back <laughs> yeah, you, those, those single shot shotguns of any caliber they're not made for smoothness they don't just push you back like a shotgun does they bam you <laughs> uh yeah we, what i wouldn't give uh, to is, see a video of that yeah that would have been a good one yeah yeah that would have been great we, in the slideshow at banquet <laughs> <laughs> mr papke and mr mcnary myself we all are beavers we all graduated from oregon state all started ag teaching about the same time in the late ni- uh, late 90s early aughts and been good friends and call uh professional colleagues for coming on 25 years now so yeah. yep that's yep. awesome yeah I, th- I think definitely just i mean even going to wlc and listening to other uh, ffa members talk I, you can definitely tell the ag teacher community is a pretty tightly woven one and is made up of a lot of the same people with the same interests well and i think there's another little tidbit of uh that story from hole in the ground too that time you know you talk about the people running scared from our camp spot uh, as they drove up to the rim there but another occasion on that same trip another family drove up there and i think this had to have been after the first couple went scurrying away but um we we watched your ag teacher mr waldron uh, go up there and talk to this group of people. It was two or three family, you know, family of three or something like that. And we watched him talk to him for about 40 minutes where they gave him the entire history of Christmas Valley, Fort Rock, Silver Lake. We were wondering what he was doing, but these people left having had the best tour guide ever. And, uh, they they were expecting to go up there and just see some solitude and they got a guy that probably at any museum would have been getting paid, you know, a good 15, 20 bucks an hour for the information <laughs> he was providing. And I think that's actually a, a pretty good demonstration of what we see in our ag teacher brethren. We, we're a group of people that 
no matter where you are, if you need something, you need information, you need help, the, the Ag Teacher Brotherhood is there to help you out. And um, you don't have to be part of the brotherhood. If, if there's somebody that needs something, you know, reach out to an ag teacher and you're going to get the help you need. And uh, that was a pretty good demonstration of that that day, even though it was unsolicited and they were probably a little scared at the start. They found somebody <laughs> that they could really, uh, really get along with and learned a lot from, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Well, no, that's a, and that's a great point. One of the things we, we've all had state officers along the way. And, and even if we don't have one from our chapter, one of the things we always tell the state officer is, you know, outside of having a GPS as you're traveling across the state, going from chapter to chapter for leadership tour and events and stuff, have an ag teacher directory. Cause you roll through a, a town and you need help call the ag teacher first. Um, they might not know, or they might not be able to help you directly, but they're going to know the person to call. Perfect example, we're standing at State Fair last year, and it was move-in day, and, and I was standing there talking with a couple other ag teachers. We're just kind of shooting a breeze, watching the kids move their animals in, and my phone rings, and it is State Representative Mike McLean. And uh, so I answer the phone. Hey, Mike, what's going on? He says, hey, Jeff, doing good. He says, I got, I got, need some help. I said, what's going on? And he was in Primeville and his car was dead and he'd left something on and he needed a jump. And he called me and I said, Mike, you know, I'm in Salem, but give me a second. Let me make a couple of calls and I've got help on the way. And I reached out to some alumni members here in Primeville and I found one. And uh, I said, hey, can you, here's what's going on. Can you give him a hand? And Phil said, yep, I'm on my way. And sure enough, uh, in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, get a call from Mike. Hey, thanks so much. I owe you guys. I really appreciate the help. Um, but as Mr. McNary says, we are, we are a brethren and we're a tight-knit community. And, you know, we want to be there to help folks and you ever need anything, reach out to an ag teacher and I bet you're going to find help in some way, shape or form. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff. Well said. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> keeping that in mind, let's go ahead and talk about some school closures since, I mean, you guys are probably pretty, uh, involved in your school. Um, so school is legally closed in Oregon until April 28th, but I'm sure it's going to be at least April 30th because the president just extended his social distancing orders nationally, the guidelines. So that means no sports. Um, FFA events have been completely scattered. Uh, so for us here in North Lake, Banquet was supposed to be on April 8th, and it's postponed uh, till we don't know when now. Um, steer weigh-ins for pre-fair were supposed to be this Friday on April 3rd. Those got postponed till whenever they happen. We just don't know. Um, and for us, there's even been rumors that our fair has been canceled, which is definitely not true at this point. It was just a Facebook rumor, but that was one thing I wanted to ask you guys, since you guys have bigger fairs there in Crook County and Deschutes County is, do you think they're going to get canceled at this point? Um, I'll jump in for Deschutes. We actually had a, a video call today on it for our kids and Bend. And I know Redmond's Redmond FFA, cause we're the two chapters for Deschutes County, we're moving forward as if fair is going to happen. Um, we got eight market lambs for kids this weekend. And uh, what we've been telling kids is our goal is that we have a fair. Um, some way, shape, or form, fair is going to happen. 
worst case scenario, because I know for a lot of the kids, it's not so much fair, it's market animals. And if I buy a market animal, what do I do? What, what's, what's my options? For steer kids, you know, for our steer kids, we've, we've had steers for three months. And I imagine for most of your members that have steer kids, it's not that they didn't buy a steer this week. They've already had them. Yeah. So they're already in it 100%. And so for some of the smaller species, they're trying, they're on the fence, you know, do I do it? Um, worst case, you've got a, you know, a locker animal to put in, but I would really think when you think about county fairs, these county fairs are supported incredibly by communities, whether we're in Lakeview with the Lake County community, we're in, you know, Redmond with the Shoots County, we're in Prineville with Crook. Um, they're supported. And I have to think that even if fair doesn't happen, um, specifically for those kids with market animals, we've already had people step up and say, we want to help video auctions in the livestock world are nothing new. They're very old and they're getting very good at them. And I would have to think at the minimum, we're going to figure out a way to have video auctions for these kids but ultimately, our hope and prayers are that we will have some type of exposition for these kids to where it's not just a sale, because the sale's great, and yeah, that puts money in the bank, but really, it's the fair experience where you get to show the months of hard work, the countless hours, you know, all of the, that effort you put into presenting that animal. Um, in its prime condition, as prime weight, um, and to be able to demonstrate to the public that, you know, I think of our kids that raise market animals as small business owners. You know, you're starting a small business of marketing this animal. And, and I just have to think we're going to be able to do that in some way. What that's going to look like, we don't know. But like I told our members, because we bought a market animal for my daughter for Kirk County, and for my Deschutes County kids, take a leap of faith with me. Um, I, I'm having faith that we're going to do something. Let's go ahead and do it. And we're just going to be a palm tree. And we're going to sway with the ever-changing winds. And whatever ends up happening come time to sell those animals, we'll figure it out. And we don't know what that answer is. But um, take a leap of faith with us that something good's going to come out of this. Yeah. Well, when I started hearing the rumors about the Lake County Fair getting canceled, I mean, right off the bat, I thought, man, I really don't want to keep my steer that I've already had for three months. I don't want to put, you know, another 1500 bucks to $2,000 into feed over the next, uh, what is it? Four or five months just to not have a sale. But I mean, then I, I actually saw this post on Facebook and it was talking about like, do you do market animals in FFA or 4-H for the experience or do you do them for the check? And I actually, I considered that pretty heavily. And, uh, I came to the conclusion, like you were saying that, I mean, even if, there wasn't a sale, the experience is going to be worth it. Cause I mean, uh, I'm sure there's going to be either a video sale or people are going to come together so, to support all the kids that did have animals that couldn't be sold in the traditional fashion. Yeah. Hey, Justin, I, I have had this conversation with Troy fine and buck church and we've actually talked about this even before uh, COVID-19 that we can do this type of stuff if we have to up on the North end. Yeah. So I, I, I think we will have something. I think Jeff or Mr. Patkey summed that up pretty good. We will do something regardless. Yeah. Yep. So are, are you guys doing online school there in Bend and Prineville? Yes, we are. Yeah. So how is that working um, we, with uh, ag classes then? 
it's a challenge. And I think that if you talk to anybody in that teaches in a CTE program, you're going to hear the same thing. It's a challenge. Um, there's no, there's no guidebook for this. And, and I'm not saying that there's a guidebook for any of the other classes in the high school, but, um, you know, if, if you're sitting in an English class and, and you're reading a book and, and this is not to be, um, derogatory towards any of the core curriculum, but if you're sitting in an English class and, and you were assigned, uh, two weeks to read a novel and have discussions each day in class about that novel, that's a pretty easy online fix. Um, Jeff and I are deep into a huge project with our advanced welding kids. And uh, we don't have those kids to work on those projects now in the shop. We've got greenhouses that we're um, going through. And we spent a little bit of time tonight with the rest of the ag teachers talking about what plant sales look like. Well, the thing that, you know, I don't want to be overlooked and part of the conversation that I had with my administration today when we were talking about our plant sale is, you know, we, we do a greenhouse and, and part of that is because it's such a great fundraising opportunity for the community. Communities everywhere love to go support FFA chapters by buying plants. They just do. But the big reason why we have greenhouses is because kids learn a lot in them. And right now we're without that kid factor. And so, you know, how do you, how do you mimic what we would be doing in the greenhouse right now with kids virtually? How do you mimic welding in the shop virtually? How do you do animal science, um, especially the hands-on portion of it that is required of a lot of us for our college articulated classes? How do you do that virtually? There's so many things that we've never had to worry about all of a sudden hitting, and it just makes it a huge challenge. But we've gotten together a couple times as ag teachers to commiserate with each other and more than anything, work with each other to try and answer some of these questions because nobody wants to reinvent a wheel if somebody else is willing to let you borrow that wheel. And so we've got a lot of discussion going on about how all of us can work together to build up this virtual curriculum that we're all trying to teach. Yeah, the word hands-on, I think that's probably the biggest part of it. I mean, you can't virtualize hands-on usually. It's not like you said. I mean, English, math, you can post assignments online for that stuff on Google Classroom. But, I mean, unless you're just telling or, like, asking people to log hours for work or something like that in their AET, like uh, – we've been doing here with Mr. Walder and it's definitely difficult. Yeah. So yeah. So Justin, I, I am, I brag and I'm proud because I almost do no paperwork at all in our program. I think I've done like four pieces of paperwork this year in advanced (laughs) metal fab. Right. But like Mr. Maneric says, all of a sudden that becomes a, that becomes a problem because if we did paperwork, well, that'd be easy to do online. It's not easy to do now. Yeah. Yep. So, I, I think yep. the good thing that, that we have is, you know, we do have SAEs, which is supposed to be a third of the program. We have FFA, which that's been cut out. We have classroom. Well, we can't do that anymore, but we still have projects. We still have, you know, students have their personal projects that we can still focus on. And that's probably what we are going to do 
here at North Lake and probably in ag programs across the state. Yeah. Well, I think here in North Lake, what makes it a little bit easier is a lot of us like have jobs on farms and stuff. So if we aren't getting that, you know, that career tech education in the classroom or in the shop room, you know, you, a lot of us are actually getting it hands on, which makes it a little easier. But I mean, in bigger cities, it's not really working that way. So. But uh, yeah, so that so that's the school side of it, but the actual uh, state lockdown side of it, or I mean, it's basically national or uh, nationwide at this point. Um, you're not supposed to leave your house unless you're getting groceries uh, for medical emergencies or something like that, or if it's for work that is deemed essential by the state. Um, and I mean, in a lot of states, you can actually be arrested or fined or sent to jail for it, which is pretty serious. Um, fortunately, ag is an essential industry, so I mean, in North Lake the that's the dominant industry so a lot of people aren't losing their jobs like other places but um you guys are in bend and prineville what what are the conditions there like um well i'll kind of jump in and i hope they uh consider fixing a faucet as essential because i'm dealing with a kitchen faucet that's got a leak right now Uh (laughs) (laughs) you know life gets in the way um well i think for miss mcnary and i you know Getting around Prineville, traffic's definitely less. Getting into Bend, traffic's definitely less. Um, I think as as a whole, I think the communities are really heeding that. And you know, if you do have to go out to uh, um, a business, you know, I know Wilco. Um, they're not just a huge sponsor of FFA, but they're a very uh, cognizant, very responsive, very responsible business. And, you know, I look at them and some of the things they've done and because they're involved in agriculture, you know, I want to make sure they still remain as a, a company that can support agriculture in Oregon and doing what they can. You know, when you go into the store, they've got little things set up on the floor where if you're in line, you know, the person in front of you is at that line, you're at this line to keep that social distance. They're protecting their um checkers they contracted with a company out of albany to build sneeze guards to put up in front of all the checkers to try to keep them safe and you know when you think about biosecurity and that's really what we're dealing with this isn't anything new to agriculture you know if you've tried to get into a a hog operation the last couple of years you realize biosecurity is huge and it's not just the last couple of years, but, you know, it's something we've always dealt with in agriculture. So I'd like to think that as an industry, um, we're kind of on the forefront of that. And we, we've been doing it. And, yeah, maybe we need to change some things, but it's really nothing new or surprising to us. It's just instead of really focusing on the biosecurity of our product, whether it be crops or livestock or processing or whatever, we're now just having to maybe do a little bit more as far as the human interaction that we've had. Um, but I think it, it just always, it still boils down to people being smart and thinking ahead. And, and for me, it's, it's also maybe more so bringing back into um, kind of that, 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 that era of yesteryear of thinking about, you know, your fellow man, and what do you need to do, not just to protect yourselves, but to protect others and to think about something bigger than yourself? And do you, do you need to go somewhere? Do you need to uh, be active in the community? Um, you know, yeah, are we bored? Sure. You know, we've got students that haven't left their house. Uh, we had web calls with kids today in my classes 
And I had one kid comment that it was so great to hear somebody else's voice and see somebody else's face other than their parents. <laughs> and so it is, it's, it's thinking outside of yourself and just trying to, to be smart about it, but balancing that with, there are certain things that we still have to do and, you know, how do we boil down and really think about, is this something I have to do or something I want to do? And if so, it's something you want to do, you know, take a break. You don't probably need to do it. If it's something you have to do, just be smart about it. Yeah. Well, that's actually so, so, oh, yeah. Go ahead. so yeah. So for for us, and, and we're in a little bit different situation where if I want to see somebody, I have to make a an effort to go see somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys, I, I, and I know you and you and Dano living in Primeville. I mean, how do you how do you social? distance yourself from neighbors just you can't even yell across the fence up there I'm guessing. well like yeah um you know for us technology's been great you know as ag teachers we've held some virtual social hangouts um where we can get online using one of the video conferencing and be able to see each other and talk and commiserate um yeah it's it's just thinking outside the box of, okay, I can't do it this way, but is there another way I can do it? And I think that's what we really need to, to have to think about. And cause it's not just about protecting yourself, it's protecting other people. And so again, it kind of brings into that, um, you know, we always talk about servant leadership and FFA and ag ed and what we do. And I really do think, you know, part, a big part of servant leadership is thinking about others. And how do you not just keep yourself protected, but how do you protect others? And how do you how do you do things the right way, the smart way um, that's going to minimize or reduce or, you know, hopefully eliminate risk um, so we can get a hold on this? Because the more we do that way, the quicker this thing's going to be done. Um, it's people being irresponsible and in some cases just dumb that are going to continue this thing so let's think about this and let's think bigger picture don't just think about the here and now think about the there and then yeah so keep that in mind because we're going to get back to that in a minute but um just keeping uh, on the topic of like what's going on right now um so for ffa in central oregon and statewide ffa specifically um it's it's definitely complicated state convention got canceled which was a huge blow to you know state officer elections and cdes and a whole bunch of stuff so what do you guys think uh what do you think is going to be the way that we operate this virtually is it going to be through zoom meetings which is just basically uh group facetime or are we going to have shared google drives or all of the above how do you think that's going to work in the future so are you talking about state convention or well, i'm just talking about like ffa events in general because i mean Obviously, yeah, basically every CD that would have happened at uh, state convention got canceled, every leadership event, um, state officer right. elections. I think, yeah, I think Mr. McNary has some information on that. Yeah, I think that, you know, we're we're certainly working in unprecedented times. And, you know, we're fortunate that we do have technology that will allow us to um perform at least at some level the events that we have lost because of this situation. Uh, the state is planning to carry out most of their uh, events um, that would require speaking or interviews via Zoom or Google Hangouts uh, at this time. Um, there's been a, a couple of snags with that that the state office is working out. Um, one of the other things that 
um, we are going to be utilizing from an, a CDE event standpoint, at least at the district level, and this is going to be a, a statewide program um, because, you know, it's not just Central Oregon District that's had events shut down because of this virus. It's, it's state and national. Um, we've worked with a, a company, judgingcard.com, and they're um, we are utilizing some funds to purchase subscriptions to that that's going to allow us to do uh, several of our events. And ag teachers from across the state are working to put those events together so that districts can actually hold a meets evaluation contest. Uh, so that districts can have a, a dairy judging contest. Um, there's a number of events that we're going to build on that platform. And for Central Oregon District, um, it's going to it's going to give it's going to give. Sorry about that. Um, hey, hey Dan. Give, I, I, by the way, I have enjoyed your pictures of your boy on Facebook. Yeah. So. <laughs> so they uh, these events that we're going to be creating might actually allow for well I won't say might actually they will allow for um, members of the Central Oregon district uh, to participate in events that we haven't had a district contest for in a long time for example meets um, as long as I've been here which is 13 years we've never had a district meets contest well if if Mr. Papke wanted to put together a, a team because they were planning on going to CDE days for me and we wanted to, and North Lake wanted to, uh, we could have our own central Oregon district meets contest, uh, under this situation. I think the biggest thing for me as we are working through this is it provides an opportunity to create a contingency plan for the future because we need it now. And um, we've we've been in situations here in the Central Oregon District. If you look at our sectional event um, last year in 2019 uh, during Snowmageddon, um, we we didn't have a contingency, and and we can all look back at that event and say, you know, it never should have happened in the first place. But we were up um, the other district advisors and myself. We were up trying to figure out a way with uh, Lee Lutch at the state office to actually have a contest because we had teams from the other districts already in Central Oregon. We threw that contest together on, a, on the fly. And this situation, while we've had to cancel some major events like state convention um, real close to when those things were supposed to happen, we're given the opportunity to create a new way of doing things that shouldn't be a replacement for how we have traditionally done things as we move forward, but will give us that plan for contingency when needed. Yeah. So like you said, this is completely unprecedented, but I mean, now that it's happened, if it, something like this happens in the future, or just something similar where everything gets shut down, I mean, we will have kind of a basic game plan if we can look back on what we did. But uh, yeah, so more specifically for our districts, uh, district officer elections, they were supposed to have happened by now because usually we do our interviews before state convention and then we vote to confirm the slate that the committee comes out with at state convention. So how's that going to work this year? 
Well, we, as ag teachers, we just met on Monday to kind of finalize a plan on that. And teachers are um, in the process right now of getting the names of their uh, committee members. Uh, we're going to do uh, everything virtually. And those of you that are running as candidates, um, I have all your contact information and we'll be putting that plan together um, to send out once I have the list of committee member names, everybody's going to be in the know by next Monday evening, um, and you'll get that information. But our, our process has to change a little bit um, because we can't get together to do the things we normally do. And so, like everything that's happening right now, we're, we're asking for a little bit of grace and understanding, and, and the advisors have put some... Uh, good thought into coming up with a plan that will work um, the best given the situation that we have. A lot of it is based on the, the plan that you sent me, Justin, um, and I don't know that we need to go into details of what that plan entailed uh, today, but the um, full process will be revealed to the committee members and the candidates next Monday night. Yeah, so I imagine state officer elections will be pretty state similar to that then, correct? Uh, very similar. Yeah, because, I mean, this that, that's even bigger. I mean, how many delegates is there usually for state officer elections? Probably 50 to 70 or somewhere in there? Uh, for for state office? Yeah, like when we're at state convention uh, for probably, delegates. It's probably closer to 240. Oh, okay. I was bigger way off than that. Yeah, but I there's mean, uh, there's 100 and, 107, 110, something like that chapter. So maybe not 240, but every chapter gets two delegates. So okay, yeah, but I mean, same thing. There's no way that you could do that in person. So I mean, yeah, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, yeah. So for upcoming events, I mean, um, the closest thing that we would have had would have been leadership camp. So what's the update on that? Well. Uh, again, we, and I don't know how many of, their, of the advisors that shared this information, but we actually had, a, had to create a contingency plan for leadership camp um, back at the, in February. Um, the host of our camp uh, there at Subtle Lake had called and told me that she was uh, hearing from the Forest Service that they were going to do some tree removal um, on the, the forest there that encompassed uh, Subtle Lake and part of the trees that they were removing were at the camp and the dates, one of the sets of dates that they were proposing to do the camp or the tree removal was during our camp. So they were going to have to close it down. That wasn't a for sure thing. Um, hey, they by were the way, doing... yeah, this is all new to Justin and North Lakes. So I did not tell them this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we, um, we, when I immediately contacted the rest of the advisors to let them know, uh, got back in touch with Jane at the camp and they had some other dates available. Uh, one of those dates was for the very first part of March. We knew that we couldn't get everybody on board for that. Um, it was like a week out from when we were actually having the conversation. Um, and then we were, we were in the first part of May during CDE days, and then the, the next set of dates that were available were June 1st through the 4th. And so we actually uh, penciled out that 
June timeframe for um, a possible replacement for leadership camp, then this all happened uh, with COVID-19. And we knew that because of when it was scheduled that we wouldn't be able to get kids there. So I officially um, made the change uh, with the camp to go to June. And one of the things that we had talked about as advisors, and we know going into this as advisors, is that 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 June week is, um, you know, it's a it's an incredibly busy time for schools, uh, not because there's a bunch of stuff going on, but for a number of the schools in our district, it's graduation week. And graduation week doesn't generally have much impact on the kids that would be attending leadership camp. What it does impact is those state officers that were elected. And so we know going into this um, that there's a possibility of camp looking a whole lot different um, based on what we have for state officer involvement. Um, past state officers, there's going to be some changes. There, there might be, if we don't end up canceling the whole school year, you know, there may be some chapters that aren't able to participate. Um, we, we've recognized all these things, and, and we now know that if schools are canceled uh, completely, which has been all but said, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to be doing something different for camp anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, let's see, the next one would have been shop skills. So, I mean, if school is canceled for the whole year, there's basically no way that can happen because, I mean, you just can't practice in your shop or school. So do you think that'll still happen or what are your outlooks on that? Um, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of our FFA, um, advisors from across the state have the same feeling on this. Um, we know what's important for kids, but if we do come back to school, um, you know, May, let's say that it, it ends up being May 4th because the, the first is on a Friday and they just decide to hold off until about next Monday. Um, there are schools across the state that are going to go back on May 4th with three weeks of school until their kids are gone. Uh, there's a number of schools east of us that get out um, Memorial Day weekend. That, you know, that Friday is their last day of school and they've already graduated uh, kids or they will be graduating them on that Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. Um, I think the the big concern, and I think it's a very real concern, is that schools aren't going to, even if we come back, allow groups of students to travel because they've already missed six weeks of of class time. And, and we know that we're going to this virtual model and, and whatnot, but um, there's that real possibility that we just might not be allowed to use them if we do. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah, it's gonna be pretty rough. Um, what what days are CDE days scheduled for in May? Um, they're not. Oh, they okay. the CDE day schedule has essentially been uh, pushed to virtual contests, with the exception of a handful. Oh, okay. They are planning on doing, I believe, three events on the weekend and you can't quote me on this um, because I don't have it right here in front of me, but they're going to plan on doing a couple of events on a weekend 
hoping that um, they may be able to get students to them uh, on a weekend. I see. But it's going to have to be after that closure date is lifted. Yeah. So that first weekend in May would be the possibility. Yeah. So everything's pretty messed up. So now, uh, like I said before, let's go ahead and look ahead at what is going to happen. So right now, a lot of like the models from the government and just a lot of uh, speculation is basically saying that um, it's not going to be this bad necessarily for lockdowns. But until the vaccine is developed, this virus is just so transmittable and everything that um, we're going to have to take some pretty heavy social distancing measures and things like that. So what happens? I, I mean, this is pretty pessimistic, but what happens if even through the summer and in the next fall, we might have school, but do you think that, I mean, what would happen if all FFA events, I mean, were either drastically reduced or couldn't happen? Do you think that could be a possibility? You want to tackle this one, Jeff? <laughs> no. <laughs> I well, don't want to, I'll, I don't I'll want to answer it either. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I guess, you know, there's, my bachelor's degree is in economics and in economics why i bring that up it's always looking at what's happened in the past to try to predict the future that's what economics is um i think the the thing we're struggling with is we don't have a lot of past there's not a lot to look back to and say okay so what's going to happen in the future this is this is what's happening now what do we think the future is going to look like um and I think that's the big struggle. Um, and I think there we can sit down and tell you this is what we think is going to happen. And tomorrow it might be wrong. The next day it might be wrong. But we don't know. And I think that's where we really need to be working with optimism. And let's not let's not so more so much worry about tomorrow. Let's just what can we do with today? Um, you know, I am an eternal optimist. I think fair is going to happen. I hope fairs are going to happen this summer. Um, I'm supposed to come down to Judge Lake County Fair, and I hope to gosh oh, that I'm God. able to do that. Um, I'm hoping we can take That is great news, okay. Jeff. What, what animals are you judging? Anyway. I believe I've got swine is what they've signed me up for. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I want to be down there at the end of August. And I want you all to be showing your animals and I want the community to come out because I think what's what we're struggling with as a society is we're a very social society. And it's not that are we not surviving at home? Yeah, we're surviving at home. It's different, but it's not having that that social interaction. But I think just trying to look ahead. There's a lot of people trying to prognosticate and say this is what's going to happen. But we just don't know. and for me getting stuck in that i don't know gets really burdensome and so i'm more of just trying to focus on the here and now and know that things are going to be changing but let's do let's let's think about the here and now and do everything we can to be smart and try to do as much as we can to affect the then and there by what we do here and now yeah that is a great outlook on this by the way just just saying, keeping everybody optimistic. Yeah, so, and I'm also going to tell on you, Justin, because I know that you're really worried about soils because you want to go to Oklahoma City. Oh, bet. And I'm telling you, we still have to beat Bend, and we still have to beat Sherman County and some of these other soil schools. So. Yeah, well. So, yeah. Cold- so don't buy your ticket to Oklahoma City until you practice and get <laughs> your soil stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but okay. So, <laughs> so you said unprecedented quite a few times. Um, so I asked this. Let's see. This was would have been a little over two weeks ago. Um, we did a podcast with Mr. Waldron and our uh, school superintendent, Mr. Kerr. And I asked them, is this the most historically significant thing that has happened in your lifetime? And uh, both Mr. Waldron and Mr. Kerr uh, a couple weeks ago said that 9-11 still trumped this. But in the last two weeks, things have changed quite a bit. I mean, lockdowns have gotten more <laughs> intensive. It's just got a lot more dramatic. So is this the most historically um, important or significant thing that you guys have lived through still? Um, yeah, for me, I think I, nine 11 is probably the next, um, I was teaching then. And I remember that day, I think nine 11 too. I think as you think, think about what you've lived through, some of it is depends on geographically where you're at. You know, we were fortunate to be out here on the West coast and not back East where everything was happening, but still as Americans, we were affected by it. I mean, I still remember 9-11 and going outside the next few days and you didn't hear a plane flying over, you know? And I remember turning on the TV and every station, I mean, every station, MTV, History Network, you name it, they were broadcasting something live from ground zero. And I don't think we really understood the enormity of that for a couple of days. I think with this, we really didn't understand the enormity of it for a couple of weeks. Um, but absolutely, for me, this is going to be one of those things as we're living through it that we're going to look back on and we'll remember when the COVID-19 came through and what we had to do. So for me, yeah, this is this this past 9-11 and it is the most historic thing that I've had to live through. Yeah. What about you, Mr. McNary? You know, I had this actually had this conversation today with uh, somebody um, there at the high school. We were there working and they're doing some construction in my classroom. And one of the guys from maintenance uh, kind of brought up this same topic. And I think that this is, this will play out for a while as your guys's, your generation's 9-11, because you weren't, you know, if, if you guys were around, you yeah, were well, incredibly small. I mean, I didn't live through 9-11, so this is definitely and, number one. And um, I think the big thing for me, the big difference for me, and I think we're starting to see it. And if you really pay attention to the news and your attention is what's going on in, in your communities, you see it, but you just don't see it um, in the media like we did in 9-11, and that's how 9-11 brought people together. There was a huge sense of community. There was a huge sense of pride in how people responded to that event that we don't see as publicly here. Are those things happening? Yeah, they absolutely are. People are helping each other. But at the same time, where people here are, you know, fighting over toilet paper in the store, um, people from all across the country were sending people what they needed after 9-11. And I, I think for me, that's the big difference. And I don't necessarily want to say that 9-11 was a bigger, um, more impactful event for me because this is going to play out and, and it is playing out right now to have way more impact on me personally than what 9-11 did. Um, but it's a different type of impact. Um, 
you know, the, the gentleman that I was talking to, and I don't agree with this, says that this thing is, you know, kind of tearing people apart. And it's, it's furthering the divide that we have in our country, whereas 9-11 brought us all together. Well, I, I don't want to say that I agree with that. Um, but the attention to the help that's being given, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, companies from all across the country have stopped manufacturing what they normally do and are manufacturing ventilators. Um, you've got people being asked all across the country if they've got a 3D printer to go ahead and start printing, um, and you can get the, the open software programs to, to print out, you know, visors that are, are being sent to um, hospitals and, and all that stuff. And there's a lot of people doing all of the things that we saw during 9-11. It's just not happening, happening in as public a manner. Yeah, well, and the, the other issue is 9-11, we came together, COVID-19, we're being told yeah. you can't go out and see anyone. Exactly. And so right. I, I think it's a big difference in how it happened. 9-11, that was a gut punch. Man, that hurt, and it hurt for a long time. COVID-19 is a slow burn. Yeah, well, I made, yeah. I made, that, burn. Yeah, I made that point a couple of weeks ago. Is, I mean, I said they're – they're two crisis or crises, but they're not, I mean, they're comparable, but I mean, one of them impacted America. I mean, historically I didn't live through it. One of them impacted Americans emotionally and slightly logistically, but this is almost completely emotionally unless, or sorry, this is almost completely logistically unless you know somebody who's actually like contracted the virus. So they're pretty different. Well, yeah. So in, in 9-11 people got together and talked about it. They discussed it. They went out to the bar. They went out, uh, got together with friends and family. And now we're not allowed to do that. Yeah. We have to do it over the phone or over a Zoom meeting. Which is tough because humans are very social creatures in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we're spending about an hour and 10 minutes. So that was a pretty intensive discussion. So any closing thoughts from you guys? Hey, I think this, um, podcast deal that you guys are doing is awesome. I've listened to the other ones that you did and uh, the ones that you've done, and you guys are doing a great job at this. And this is this is an awesome activity. It's an awesome project. It's a it's a great um, you know SAE. It's it's awesome, and I appreciate you uh, allowing us to be a part of it. You know we're we're ag teachers, we're SFA members, and and we're going to push through this whole situation as best we can. And we're we're building a framework for other groups to follow, and they will. And they're getting on board, and and they're asking how we're doing things. And um, we are we are leaders in our communities, in, in every level. And um, for you guys to put this out there and advertise that, and show people that that don't get to see it and are happening in our classrooms every day is a pretty awesome thing. So thank you for what you guys are doing down there at Northlake. Yeah. Well, me and Mr. Walder have talked before about trying to get more FFA chapters and ag programs and even just, you know, more schools to do this podcasting thing so we can kind of start a community of it. But yeah, if, if you guys start a podcast program, you know, be uh, happy to help you with it and do some collaboration. So hey, you got any closing thoughts, Mr. Papke? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, 
pick up kind of where Mr. McNary left off because I, I agree. I think what you guys are doing are great. Um, you know, we I know Mr. Walters talked to you all about it, and, and Mr. McNary and I and, and Ms. Martano, we always talk to our kids about it. You know, agriculture is kind of that hidden necessity. And people really don't think about it until they're hungry or they don't have clothes on their back. And what you all are doing with this podcast to, you know, bring folks together that are connected with agriculture, whether they're students or administrators or teachers, I think it's fantastic. And it's helping tell our story. And that's something I think we forget to do. Um, we get so engrossed and involved in just trying to keep up with the day-to-day, we forget to stop and tell our story. And we've got a great story. And really the story is is you guys as members and what you do and the effects you're making and the, and the, the activities you're involved in and just really appreciate what you guys are doing and compliment you and appreciate the opportunity to get on and chat um, because I think we, as ag teachers, um, we're not in it for us. We're in it for you guys. And the more we can hold you all up and show what you're doing and the great things you are, and in, and in a way, provide that, uh, that hope, that positive, you know, look at the next generation of leaders that are coming through our programs you know, from all over the country, from every big town to little town, you name it. Um, The experiences and the things you guys are doing and what you're able to do with this podcast, I think is really fantastic and very impressed with what you're doing. And uh, I've been listening to, um, it's been great. Um, It was fun listening to Josiah being one of our kids on there. And, um, (laughs) You know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm great at a trivia contest. He just happens to ask ask the questions that I know the answers to. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> kudos, kudos to you guys. And yes, that is Lee's house that's sitting at um, Arlington Cemetery. For those that didn't know that, yeah. Well, it means a lot because I mean, Justin, Justin knew that because he went to WLC yeah. and heard that whole bill. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just hearing that from you guys means a lot because I mean, me and Mr. Waldron and a few other the students, we kind of. We didn't really know this was coming, and we kind of picked it up. And in a matter of a few weeks, we got a game plan together, and it's been a really good experience. So it means a lot knowing that you guys uh, enjoy it, and uh, yeah. So thank you for that. But uh, yeah, and Mr. Walder, any closing thoughts from you? No, you've heard enough from me. We're going to do another podcast either this weekend or next Monday. We'll talk specifically about North Lake. But no, good job, Justin. Appreciate you doing this. Let's get this up online so people can hear what's going on and get the updates they need to know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've been listening to the Cowboy Talk podcast. Uh, we discussed the future prospects of Oregon and Central Oregon District FFA. Uh, we had a few FFA advisors on here, Mr. Papke and Mr. McNary. Thank you for being on the podcast, and we would be happy to have you on anytime again. Um, you can find this podcast on Podbean at thecowboytalk.podbean.com, or you can find it linked to Facebook at the North Lake FFA Facebook page. We here on the podcast wish you the best of health and prosperity in these tough times. Hang in there. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.